Well, as most all of you know, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. And we've come this morning to the trumpet judgments that come upon the earth. Those are found in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And uh, rather than turning all the way to Revelation chapter 8, I would encourage you uh, to turn to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, because that's really where uh, we need to be reminded of today as we preach on the trumpets. My message this morning is entitled, uh, Blowing the Trumpets, Part 1. I had every desire, every intention to get chapters 8 and 9 done today, um, but just I, there's, just, there's too much. I didn't want to just rush through um, the, the trumpets in chapter 9, so we're just going to get through chapter 1, Blowing the Trumpets, uh, Part 1. And it's helpful for us this morning before we, we think about this passage of Scripture, which people don't preach on very often. I think the only time you preach Revelation 8 and Revelation 9 is if you're preaching through the Bible and you come upon Revelation 8 and Revelation 9. And there are a few people, a few pastors who have preached through Revelation. I had a conversation with a, a pastor today, uh, or this past week, uh, it was probably Friday, um, saw him at a coffee shop, sat down as a former pastor, and he said, what are you preaching through? I told him Revelation. He says, isn't it interesting that that's the book that promises a blessing that most pastors run from like crazy? And so we need to realize, remind again, in the midst of Revelation 8, which is hard judgment and condemnation and what God is doing upon the earth, we need to realize chapter 1, uh, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The book of Revelation promises a blessing. It it promises a blessing to those who read it out loud. It promises a blessing to those who hear it. It promises a blessing to those who submit to its teachings. I want to read for you what Nancy Guthrie writes. Her commentary on Revelation, excellent commentary, is just entitled, Blessed. Blessed. It's what Revelation is about. And she says this, Revelation was written to evoke worship, confidence, anticipation, and hope in those who heard it read to them. There's no blessing for those who hear it but choose to ignore it, reject it, rebel against it, or simply treat it as fodder for their curiosity. The blessing is for those whose lives are impacted and shaped by what is in it. It changes their priorities. It it builds up their courage. It impacts how they spend their money. It leads them to worship in spirit and prayer. It sends them to their needs in prayer. It emboldens their witness. It takes away their fear of death. It fills their imagination and fuels their anticipation of where history is headed. And it shapes their understanding of how suffering will resolve in the new heaven and the new earth. There's where the blessing is. It just gives a different perspective. It gives imagination to just trusting what's going to happen in the future, worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, praying more earnestly, understanding how things will end up someday. And it's easy to forget this when we come to chapters like 8 and 9, which speak about the the trumpets, because there's such hard things that come upon the earth. So before we get into it, I wanted to remind you of the blessing that that comes. Well, with that as an introduction, we're in chapter 1. So let's think about right? Chapter 1, Revelation, right? It's the introduction, and then we see the vision of Jesus coming in chapter 1. John is a a prisoner on the island of Patmos. He's suffering, and he says, I'm a fellow partaker of the tribulations in Christ Jesus. So those who he's writing to are going through tribulation at the same time. 
In chapters 2 and 3, we're filled with uh, the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. If you can say them out loud, say them with me. Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. All these churches, right? Real churches really facing the, the suffering and tribulation that, that he is facing as well. And that's the key, I do believe, of understanding and interpreting rightly the book of Revelation. Suffering people going through hardships. God's got it. God is in control. And then in, in chapters 4 and 5, we see the, the glimpse of heaven with God on the throne and Jesus as a lamb, right? Taking that, that scroll from his Father's hand. And both receiving worship heavenly being, by the heavenly beings. And Jesus then being able to open the seals of the scroll, which are open there in, in chapter 6. The scroll with seven seals upon it. And as each one opened up, things happened upon the earth where God begins to pour out His judgment on the earth. And then in chapter 7, we see the sealing of the 144,000 and the great multitude that comes out of the tribulation, the great tribulation which no one can count. Just God protecting His people. That was our message last week. And now in chapters 8 and 9, we see the trumpets being blown. They're going to bring some horrible things upon the earth. Forest fires, polluted seas, poison water, stars falling from the skies, locusts, and, and even death. Many have compared these, these uh, events of the blowing of the trumpets to the plagues that Egypt experienced in the days of Moses. But these are far larger this isn't just upon Egypt. This is upon the whole world. We can expect to come a global scale. And they have lessons for us. And I trust, according to the promise of verse 3 of this book, that it will become a blessing to you somehow in, in some way. So let's begin Revelation chapter 8, which begins the blowing of the trumpets. I just want to read it for you now. Just the chapter we're going to look at. It says this, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the, of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. 
Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that these three angels are about to blow. A very sobering passage, right? One we don't like to think about very much. But I think we don't like to think about it very much because we're not a persecuted people. If we were a persecuted people like the early church, we might like thinking about these sorts of things. We see in, in Revelation chapter 8, the first four trumpets being blown. We see in verse 13, the announcement of, of three more trumpets being blown. And these are going to be blown. Two of them are going to be blown in, in chapter 9. And another one to be blown later, chapter 11. A little bit like now the sixth seals have been done and the seventh seal just opened now. There are going to be six trumpets blown now and the seventh trumpet is going to be blown later. And the context of these trumpet blasts come in verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal. Let's drop there, right? Here's the Lamb opening the seventh seal. Remember that, that scroll and, and we looked a couple weeks ago as these seals were slit and they were opened. Finally, we get to the last one. And the last of the seals, the seventh one, was opened by the Lamb. And the scroll at that point, once it's all open, the scroll is ready to be opened, to be read. Revelation 8, verse 1 says this, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now that's such a contrast to chapter 7, and the loud worship of chapter 7. Look, look there, chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You get a crowd of people like that, and it just gets noisy. Any stadium that's filled with people always has this, this low decibel hum that's going on. And further than that, these all, this great crowd, were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And on top of that, you've got all these myriads and myriads of angels. You've got this, all this multitude no one can count saying a loud voice of the praise to God. And then you've got all these angels, and, and I assume that as they fell on their face and worshipped, their voices were loud too. As they said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And you have this loud, loud chorus. And then, John sees the Lamb opening the seventh seal. And there was silence for half an hour. That is the, the calm before the storm. George Eldon Ladd said in his commentary, the silence represents an attitude of trembling suspense on the part of the heavenly hosts in view of the judgments of God which are about to fall upon the world. It is the silence of dreadful anticipation of the events that are about to ensue. So I'd like for us even this morning is just even, even approximate this just a little bit. If we would say silent for half an hour, it would be time to eat. It should be okay. But that would be incredibly awkward. I just want us to be silent for 30 seconds just to give a taste of just the loudness of heaven, the, the greatness of glory. So imagine just finishing this song, this seal being opened, and this hush coming upon everyone.
30 seconds. 30 minutes of silence would certainly have caused the heavens just to wait in anticipation of what is going to come forth. And after those 30 seconds of silence, John sees the events of verse 2, and then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. We don't know who these seven angels are, but they're given seven trumpets, each of them given a trumpet. And these are the trumpets we've been talking about the, the past few weeks, right? I told you they form the, the backbone of Revelation. You have the seals and you got the, the trumpets and then you have the bowls. The, the seals came in Revelation chapter 6. These trumpets come in chapters 8 and 9. And now in Revelation chapter 16, it, when we get to Revelation 16, will be the bowls. And we think about trumpets here. We're inclined to think about this, because this is where our trumpet is, right? The, the master soloist who can, who can make that trumpet sing, who stands before the orchestra, and he belts out this, this wonderful piece like that, and everyone says, oh, what a wonderful piece, and they, they clear and cheer and they applaud, and they say, what a wonderful thing. That's not the, this trumpet. This trumpet is like this, the Calvary soldier summoning his troops. Here we are, right? Let's go. These are the trumpets. The trumpets to be sounded, not that people might enjoy the nice music, but trumpets that might, might gather the troops, might gather everything that's going to take place. You know, and trumpets were often used like this in Bible times. They're often used in worship, for sure. But this is the call of trumpets were used like this to, to gather the tribes before they broke camp in the wilderness. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 2 says that, right? They're around the wilderness. They, it's time, time to break camp. They, they blow their trumpets so that everybody knows, right? It's a communication thing. So everybody knows. They pack up and then leave. Or when Joshua was ready to fight against Jericho, he sounded the trumpet. The priests sounded the, their trumpets. And then the walls fell down and they marched in and they took the city. Or Gideon's men, before they went into battle against the Midianites, they all had their trumpets and they're ready to blow them in the time of battle. And so likewise here, it's not a concert, but it's to initiate these plagues that are about to come upon the earth. And these seven angels, standing before God, whoever they were, you know, because we, we haven't heard of seven angels before. We've heard of the four living creatures, the 24 elders, but we've not heard of the, the seven angels, but they are there. Perhaps these seven angels are the ones to the, the seven churches. Remember, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, right? To the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? Like these may have been those angels. We don't know. But here then we see another angel. Another angel arrives on the scene. Verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar. It's almost as if he said, okay, your, your trumpets are given. Wait, 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 wait. We've got to do this first. This angel comes. And he stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is my first point this morning, is prayers. This eighth angel comes, the censer in his hand. He took the incense that was given to him and took the prayers of the saints and mixed them, if you will, offered them on the altar. It almost seems like the incense goes up and then the, the prayers like a, a draft from a flue of a, of a, of a fireplace draw up right there, right into the face of God where He is. <clears throat> I love the apocalyptic imagery here. As if our prayers can somehow be quantified. 
and measured and collected and offered up to God as if they were incense. And what a beautiful picture this is. And I do believe this is also the key to understanding the blessing of the trumpets of this terrible chapter. See, God hears our prayers and He collects our prayers. Psalm 56, verse 8, we read this, O God, You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in Your bottle. Are they not in Your book? God watches over it, us. And he, the psalmist is saying, right, when I toss in my bed of, of agony, just like those sleepless nights, tossing and turning. Well, He turned once. He turned twice tonight. He turned... Yep, it's a 12-turn night for you, David. He knows how many turns you turn in the night. And he knows your tears. The picture of the psalmist, poetically, he captures them in his bottle. Your tears don't, may, may fall to the ground, but in heaven, God is capturing them in his bottle and remembering them. And, and, and that's, that's the idea, right? That, that in our pain and in our sorrow, and when we cry and when we plead to the Lord, right, when we're suffering persecution and things are hard, we're going through tribulation like this first century church was, they prayed to God and these prayers didn't just go into thin air. God collected them and He captured them. You ever seen those Buddhist flags? Maybe you've seen a picture of a Mount Everest. There, there's blue and yellow and Red flag. These, these flags just flop. They, they have, they have um, uh, Hindu prayers written on them. And the idea is that these, these prayers just, just go and they, and they flap in the wind. But they don't even know who they're praying to or what they're doing. They're just praying. Like, that's not the vision of the Bible when we think about prayer. When we think about prayer right here, it's our prayers go up, God hears them, and somehow He collects them. I, I think about all these types of things that people collect. Uh, I remember as a kid, I collected baseball cards. And uh, my brother has our collection of baseball cards. So someday maybe we'll cash in on them. Someday they'll just burn in a house. And I don't know what we'll do. I got some good cards there. I collected cards. When I was, as a kid, also, I collected bottle caps. <laughs> I had this big box. I found bottle caps all around. I just loved collecting bottle caps. And I tried to collect a bunch of different ones. And we didn't have bottle caps very much anymore. That's what I collected. Some people collect stamps. I know my mom was doing that. Some people collect coins, old magazines. You know what God collects? God collects the prayers of the saints. And in Revelation here, they are are pictured like incense, like rising up to God. Now, we don't know what these prayers are. Um, Are these the prayers of all the saints for all time? Every prayer that's been prayed to Him, He's got. He's got a pretty big collection. God can do that. Uh, perhaps. Maybe they're a specific type of prayer. Maybe they're the unanswered prayers. Maybe he's answered the prayer, then he can throw that away. I'm, you know, like, oh, I answered that prayer. I, I don't know. Are, are these prayers the cries for help? We don't know. But it makes sense in context of Revelation, at least, at the very least, it is the prayers of the persecuted people of the first century church who are praying to God in light of the tribulation that they were experiencing. And God says, I remember your prayer. I hear your prayers. And then you start expanding that like through all, through all the centuries, certainly, right? It certainly includes those types of prayers, including pray, prayers for 
for justice for people. Because that's what's going to happen, right? He's going to collect these prayers. They're going to go up to God, and God is going to mete out His justice upon those who rebelled against Him. Up to this point in Revelation, right? We've seen a lot of praise given to God. We saw that in chapter 7, as I mentioned. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And, and amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing be to our God forever and ever. We saw in Revelation 4 and 5, these five antiphonal phrases, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come, or, or worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created, or, or chapter 5, right, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Or, or, or the worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Or to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Like we, we hear a lot of praise to God so far in Revelation 1 through 7, but we've heard one prayer. Do you know what that is? Do you remember? Who remembers where the prayer was? Chapter 6. The martyr. Doesn't come to mind, any of your mind? Let's look at it. The fifth seal was opened in chapter 6, verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they'd bore. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here's the only prayer up to this point it's a prayer for, for vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and that's what they're praying. God, vengeance is yours, you're the sovereign Lord, when are you going to repay those who killed us for our faith? I think that was a common prayer for the early church who are experiencing persecution. I can only imagine the prayers of those in, in Smyrna. You remember them in, in chapter 2, they Jesus said, I know your tribulation, chapter 2, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And I know the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, are the synagogue of Satan. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And certainly they're praying prayers of God for protection and sustenance through these sorts of things. But there are also prayers that God might take vengeance upon those who have acted unjustly against them. It is the right response, the godly response in some regards to those who have been inflicted wrongly. And I say that just because the Scriptures are filled with these types of prayers. They're called imprecatory prayers. There are, several, there are many psalms in the Bible that are imprecatory psalms where David, in the midst of, of his suffering and Saul is persecuting him and pursuing after him for not that he has done, right? Trying to spear him against the wall. People hating him without a cause. Time and time again, David offered up prayers like this, and this is a heart, heart of God. God is a just God, and, and He likes cries for justice. There's injustice in the world he, he's the one who says he's absolutely just. All his ways are fair. He's going to resolve things. But David prays. Just listen to some of these. Psalm 69, 24 and 25. O oh God, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. 
There's David just against his enemies. God, you smite them. But again, notice even David's a warrior at this point. He's not saying, I'm going to smite them. He's saying, no, vengeance is yours. You be vengeance, vengeful against them. Psalm 109, verses 9 through 13. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any pity to the fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. Now, we as Americans, we like, we like to skip over those. And I've said before, I'll say it again. If you're Ukrainian living on the eastern side of the nation when the, the Russians have come in and killed your husband and raped your daughters, you will pray those prayers. And it is right to pray those prayers. We don't pray those prayers because we're not persecuted. But we're going to see the judgment and the vengeance pour out. And one, of the, one of the worst prayers of imprecation comes in Psalm it's 137. Israel was taken captive. They're taken off to Babylon and the Babylonians there, like, they, they treated them okay, but they were prisoners, they were subject, and they were, were persecuted, and it was difficult. And they say this in Psalm 137, By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. We wanted to be in Jerusalem, that's our home, but Babylon has sucked us out of there and taken us to this foreign land. And on the willows there we hung our lyres. For there are captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. You know the songs of Zion, what they're like, right? Lie, 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 the joyful Jewish song. They said, sing one of those songs. But they were in exile. And they said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. They long for Jerusalem. That's where God was. That's, that's where they dwell with God. That's where things are right. But now they're taken from there and they're captive in, Jerusalem, in Babylon. They hated it. And so therefore then they turn in this psalm. These guys are mocking us. They sing for us a song. We cannot sing this song. We're Ukrainians taken captive in Russia where we don't want to be. We want to be in Ukraine. And they pray this prayer. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Right? Here were the Babylonians saying, let's, let's strike it clean. Let's, let's wipe the whole city out. That's your home. Imagine if some people came in and did that to Rockford. Wiped out your home. is gone. Take you to a foreign land. And said, oh, sing one of those songs you used to sing at Rock Valley Bible Church. <laughs> but that's what it was. In fact, you can read in Lamentations. They say the city that was once full of people is now this desert wasteland. They swept it down. And then their prayer was this, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what should have been done to us. What, with what you have done. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. No, we don't like that. It's because we're not there. We're not one of those people who have faced the injustices of people and crying out for justice. And I do believe that this is the sort of prayer that 
that these people are praying, praying for justice. The Roman persecution was difficult. The Apostle Paul, right, understood vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And for those churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea, the trumpet judgments would be a comforting word to them. When we come upon this chapter, we shy away from it because we don't understand them. We're not like them. We haven't faced the onslaught of persecution. But that's what Revelation's about. It's bringing comfort. It's bringing blessing to a persecuted people. And these verses here ought to be an encouragement for us to pray. Realize that these are many unanswered prayers that that went up before God for, for His justice and His vengeance. And they weren't answered until the time when the trumpet judgment. And then God answers prayer. So just be encouraged, right? If you have prayers that aren't being answered that you're praying for again and again and again, and they're just not being answered, God will answer them in this time. He's got them. Maybe Revelation 8. I love the perspective of Eugene Peterson in his commentary. He says, when the seventh seal is open, there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. A climax has been reached. While conflicts raged between good and evil, prayers went up from the devout bands of first century Christians all over the Roman Empire. Massive engines of persecution and scorn were raged against them. They had neither weapons nor votes. They had little money nor prestige. What they didn't have was mental breakdowns. Why didn't they cut and run? Because they prayed. And the way to protect yourself through times of difficulty is to pray to the Lord and trust that He will do right. Well, verse 5, we see more of what this angel did. This angel took the censer. Right? This is the censer from the, from the altar that had been offered up with smoke and these prayers. He took the angel, filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's as if the, the prayers of the saints and the incense had given this power, this fire, then to come upon the earth, and judgment is about to begin. It begins with the blowing of the trumpets, and verse 6 says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. In verse 2, we see the seven angels receiving their trumpets, and now we see them preparing to blow them. And that's the rest of the chapter. I'm simply calling it trumpets trumpets. Chapter 8 records the first four trumpets. Chapter 9 records the fifth and sixth trumpets. The seventh comes in chapter 11. Now, again, at this point, right, it's helpful for us to consider, right, how these trumpets relate to the bulls, right? Got these seals, trumpets, and bulls, seven seals in Revelation, seven trumpets, and we got seven bulls in, in Revelation. And some, as I've said, understand these things consecutively, like there are seals and then the trumpets happen, and then all the bowls happen. That's right, right. One happens after the other. They're consecutive. One happens, and then the other happens, and the other happens. But as I've mentioned, to try and help give us a perspective of grace towards those who see Revelation differently than this, I've mentioned there are other people who view them not so much as uh, consecutive, but oops, oops, going this way. Oops, I'm sorry. Went the wrong way. So some people see it like this. As, as, as concurrent events. That's a story of the future, right? Told over and over and over again, right? There's a, a, a recapitulation is what some people say. 
a retelling of the story. Now, one of the things I've sought to do this, it came to mind this week, that that's, I'm not trying to say the first seal is equivalent to the sec- first trumpet, is equivalent to the first bowl, and the second, it doesn't correspond like that. It's just that this is another telling of the story. Perhaps a better picture even looks like, looks like this. Right, with the, with the trumpets maybe happening at a different time, and the and the bowls even happening at a different time, might be another way that, that people see this. Right, and and it's so it's like it's not a time thing. Right, things are things perhaps it's just a, a recapitulation, a retelling of the story. And, and obviously, if you work through trumpets today, you're going to see they're different than the the seals. The seals dealt with wars and famines and death, and the trumpets deal with destruction upon the earth. Like they're, they're not dealing with different things. I'm not saying that they're, they're the same thing. I'm just saying that they're just kind of telling the story again from another different perspective. And there are pros and cons to each view. And, and the reason I put this forth is because I don't know. And I'm not going to declare 100% that this is what I know it is. Right? I mean, the, the top view especially seems to be like that's the easy reading of Revelation. Right? The, the seals happen, and especially chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, so tied it back to the seventh seal, then the trumpets began. It seems really natural that it should be consecutive like that. And if people read it like that, wonderful. But there's a problem with the sixth seal. Right? You remember the sixth seal? If you look back at chapter 6, when the sixth seal happened, verse 12, he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The sun darkened, stars falling from the sky, sky vanishing, mountains being removed. Yet with the trumpets, it seems as if many of these things are still in order. So it could be that the trumpets are just coming through and getting before that sixth seal, before that devastating work upon the earth. And by the way, also, when you finish with the trumpets, then, then afterwards follows in chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13, it seems like there's not been this great, huge destruction upon the earth. Like, well, is it Matt be telling a story again? So I, I'm just saying that there are ways to see the Scripture like that, and, I, and I'm not sure, but, and maybe it's all an apocalyptic story mystery, and maybe God has made it so that we cannot know. So let us not assert that we know for certain how it is, but yet we have this vision of these trumpets, and what's the main point? It's God beginning to pour out His vengeance upon the earth, and in that we can embrace. God is in control, and I think that's where we get our comfort today. God is sovereign and in control. He's in control of all of these trumpet judgments. In fact, did you notice who gave the trumpets to the angels? Verse 1, verse 2. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. It's, it's passive. So we don't know who gave it to them, whether God did or someone else. But it, it, it refers us back to this is the divine passive, right? God for sure oversaw that these seven angels had the seven trumpets. This is all sovereignly under his, his hand. So let's, let's look what happens here with the first trumpet. Okay, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly, just kind of elaborating on, on each of them. And then after we get done with all four, we're going to want to step back and say, how are we to understand them? And then we'll close my message. All right, the first trumpet, we see a third of the earth being burnt up. Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. 
and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So you see something, fire and hail mixed with blood coming down upon the earth, right? So all of a sudden, you do see apocalyptic stuff here, like blood. How is, how is blood coming, right, from wherever it is, um, being thrown from angel where he blows the trumpet and being thrown? How is blood up there coming down? Like, if you push the literalism too far, it, it's, it's not going to work for you. But here we got this, this it's almost as if, right, the, the heaven itself is bringing down fire, I think, is the is the biggest thing here because the earth becomes on fire. It's ruined. It makes the forest fires that take place out of the west every year look like campfires. This summer, right, we, we got this smoke from Canada, right? All, all this smoke, the dimming, the dimming of the, uh, uh, the sky and the, what is it, the air index, air something? You remember you're looking up? Air quality, right, was bad because of the smoke from Canada. Think about what the air quality here when a, a third of the earth is burning and all the green grass is burned up. And by the way, green grass doesn't burn very well. It's the brown grass. That, but here we have so hot that the green grass is burning. Can you imagine the effect this will have upon the whole earth? This is just God beginning His judgment. Think about the fire in Maui. Great devastation. But you know what? Maui, not even close to a third of the island, has been burned up. How much do you think of Maui was burned up in the, the fires that they had? I did some calculation. I won't bore you with the details. I'll just say this. 0.4% of the island was burned. Here's this great devastation. All these people killed. 0.4%. That means the first trumpet brings devastation. A hundred times more what happened on Maui on the whole earth. Destruction's devastating. Much loss of life for sure. Okay, the second trumpet comes and a third of the sea creatures die. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, when this trumpet blows, right, something from heaven comes crashing to earth, something burning from heaven comes crashing to earth. In this case, it was something like a great mountain. Some might say a meteor. Who, that's just trying to put it naturally. This is supernatural. Okay, if you say it's a meteor, right, the, 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 the star that showed over Jesus right, was this star. Right? You're trying to explain, oh, there's an eclipse. Right? No, this is miraculous. This was something big that was burning, sent from God, says, boom, not grabbed from outer space, naturally coming. This is a, a miracle what God did. Some huge mass comes barreling into the earth, into the sea this time, not on the land, destroying a third of the sea creatures, sinking a third of the ships. I remember one time being at a lake that was... Um, had some problem with it, and so they were emptying the reservoir. Had a, a, a fish kill is what they called it. Something happened to the aquatic life there, and they, they drained it to plan to start over or something. And I just remember the stink there was awful. Just all these things dying. And, and here you have all the animals in the sea dying. The stench would have been awful of the rotting flesh was in there. And, and again, you see the apocalyptic, right? It, it's coming, and the sea becomes blood. It, it's a picture, right? It's a picture of just awful. Well, maybe that's blood because of all the, the sea creatures dying. I'm not sure. And certainly lots of loss of life as a third of the ships were destroyed as well. Just this catastrophic. We see it on the earth and we see it upon the sea. And now we see it upon the waters. Verse 10. 
The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of waters. The name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it was made bitter. And again, right, this time it's identified as a great star falling, right? Again, this burning object that's falling. It's a similar, similar sort of theme, except this, um, this star has a name. And this star's name is, is Wormwood. And uh, wormwood is a, is, a, is a wood that grew in biblical times. It was, a, it was a sort of like cedar, like it emitted this uh, odor that kept moths away a little bit, um, helped preserve some things. It was a bitter tree. It's not inherently poisonous. If you mix it with water, you won't, normally won't die. But here, like there's the idea of the bitterness and mixing it with water. And here, people did die. It was a, a third of the waters became poison and bitter, right? You go to a foreign land... You don't drink their water. You drink bottled water in order to stay alive, right? So you don't get sick. But in this case, a third of the waters throughout the whole earth was, was bad. Some have referenced Jeremiah 9.15 that this is, a, this is a precursor to this. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink, just in judgment against people. And that's what we see here, drinking poisonous water, many dying. Okay, fourth angel, before we kind of step back and think about this. The fourth trumpet, blew, fourth trumpet blew, and we see a third of the heavenly lights are dimmed. Oop, there was three, and there's four. Gotcha. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Just brings us into a darker world. Everything dimmed by a third. The sun at noon is not nearly as bright. The full moon, not quite so bright. We've had a blue moon in recent days. It's been super bright. I'm not sure how many of you have seen that blue moon. It's been fabulous. It's been super cool to see how, how big and bright it has been. And yet, even that, dimmed by a third. Now, this brings us close to the sixth seal, doesn't it? Right? Where the, the sun is darkened and the moon becomes blood and the stars of the sky fall to the earth. Only it's interesting here, this, this fourth trumpet doesn't even quite make it to what the sixth seal is and was. Unless unless sixth seal comes and then the stars, sun's restored, which could be, and then it comes again. Or it might be a recapitulation. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to throw these apocalyptic categories out there for you. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous so we don't fixate upon that. But here we are. First four trumpets blew. And the question really you ask yourself is, what of these four trumpets is apocalyptic, right? In other words, right, that's what John saw. What I described is exactly what John saw. But is this picture a reality of the future judgment that's coming? Is the burning of the earth a picture of the anarchy in the world? Like, symbolically, some people say that. Well, just the burning is just, just anarchy in the world is what people say. Are the ships sinking just pictures of the trading that slows down? Because of, a, of a, a worldwide depression, perhaps? Or is the poison of the wormwood a picture of the bitterness of life? Or the, the dark and heavenly bodies, a picture of darkness has come upon the earth? Like, those are legitimate questions, and I encourage you to think about those questions. Then there are many Bible-believing people who look to the Old Testament, find symbolic parallels, compel them to hold these as mere pictures. I just say, I, I don't see them as pictures. I see no reason other than take them at face value. But this is apocalyptic literature, and you've got to constantly be, be thinking about that. I think what's happening here is that God created the world. As a result of sin, we ruin the world. 
And with the D, with the, the, the sounding of the trumpet judgments, he's beginning to decreate the world so that he can create, a world, create it again. You know, there are places in, in this world, particularly uh, affluent cities, where houses are of zero value. Right? When people come into these neighborhoods and they, they buy these houses, they're not buying the house, they're buying the lot. Because when they buy that house, they're going to tear it down and build a bigger and better house because it's some rich neighborhood. This is the story of Revelation. Our earth is a teardown. There'll be a day when the Creator tears the earth down only to build something bigger and better. Right? Remember where Revelation finishes? we got this new heaven and the new earth, which is way better than the first one. And this is a part of, of taking down the first one. And the new heaven and the new earth, right, comes about only because of the work of Jesus. That's why the Lamb is to be worshipped and the Lamb is to be praised. The world is ruined because of our sin. That's why all this destruction is coming, is because of sin of people. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, right, it would have been totally different. If we lived in a sinless paradise, it would be totally different. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He's going to bring creation back to where it should be. And the, and the message of Revelation really is to, to trust Jesus, right? Well, one, to protect us from the, the coming devastation, but also to realize that that's our only hope in, in our refuge. And I just say this. Remember last week, Revelation chapter 7, where, where God seals His people? He seals 144,000. And He preserves his, his great multitude, which comes out of the great tribulation, right? They're in the tribulation, but He's got them, and they're worshiping Him. He's got them, He's protecting Him. He's protecting them. So, do you want to avoid this judgment? Then trust in Christ. He's the only one who can forgive your sin and protect you and, and guard you. It's interesting in, in Revelation 9, which we will look at next week, when we see these locusts. Look at verse 5 of Revelation chapter 9. Um, no, verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green plant, nor any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Chapter 7, right, we saw people protected, right, sealed on their foreheads, protected, and these locusts were going to come, can torment people, oh, but not those who have got their seal on their foreheads. So you got even in believers going through this and just being protected. God is going to protect us. You want to avoid the judgment? Then trust in Christ. He's the only one who's going to able to make you stand from the wrath. That was the question that ended chapter 6. We talked about this last week, right? The, chapter 6, verse 17. The great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Only the one sealed in Jesus can stand. You need to long for Him. The message of Revelation is this. Come, Lord Jesus. Like, it's just to show that the destruction is coming upon the world, but we want Jesus to come and, and rebuild that teardown house and rebuild this creation so that we might reign with Him as kings and priests to our God. Because... It's only going to get worse in Revelation. Look at verse 13. John says, I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it viewed, flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. It's only going to get worse. We see these angels and we see these locusts and we see these other angels that are released to kill a third of mankind. This is God taking vengeance upon the earth. It's not pretty, but we are rescued in Jesus, so trust in Him. Let's pray. 
Father, such a hard passage. Thank you that we are forced to deal with such hard passages in reading Revelation. I pray that we would find the blessing in them. I pray you'd help us to hold these pictures loosely, not try to puzzle them about, to try to figure out everything, but to realize that that you will destroy this earth someday. That is clear. Even Peter said that, that the earth was once destroyed with water. It will be destroyed a second time with fire. And we see all the fire here coming to destroy it. Father, realize that this place is not our home. We are but sojourners and, and aliens and foreigners. We are citizens of heaven from which we also eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come and redeem us and rescue us in your time. God, whether that's a... a a time where you protect us or guard us or guide, or you protect us right through everything. God, we just trust you for how it all will work out. And just even as we will see next week that those who are sealed will be protected, that even when a third of mankind dies, God, your people will not die. You will protect them. And so, God, I pray that you would help bring blessing out of this difficult message of judgment. And uh, even next week as well, as we look at the two more trumpets, the fifth and the sixth, which are just as devastating, perhaps even more so. God, help us to understand what it would be like to be persecuted, to, where we need to trust and rest in you. Draw us to Jesus, may we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.